Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. Hi, this is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Practice Hack of the Week. I've never loved flying, and turbulence freaks me out as much as the next person. But back when I had to travel with my violin, the most stressful part of flying was actually the boarding process. Nowadays, I just wander on board whenever it's time. But with my violin, it meant scurrying on board quickly to get it into the overhead bin before everybody else put their suitcases in, and then sitting there wishing I could turn invisible while people around me muttered about how their bags wouldn't fit due to this odd-sized thing already in there. Yeah, flying can be tough under even the best of circumstances, never mind when you're traveling for a performance or an audition and you're already stressed about what you have to do when you arrive at your destination. So what does the research have to say about minimizing the impact of air travel, particularly jet lag, on performance? What can we do to make sure we're in the best shape to perform when we arrive? A pair of Stanford researchers scoured the literature and found 106 studies that were relevant to air travel's effect on performance. And though it turns out that jet lag is not the only factor that can potentially affect performance, it's probably the one we notice most. But how much of an effect does jet lag really have on performance? As in, is it a big enough deal that we should be taking into account the number of time zones we'll be crossing when planning travel dates for an audition or competition? Well, you can start to see some of the effects of jet lag even across one time zone, but generally it's when you cross three or more time zones that the effects become really noticeable, like fatigue and feeling sleepy at odd times, or being wide awake when it's time to sleep, having difficulty concentrating, and so on. And it can indeed have some significant performance effects. One study, for instance, looked at all Major League Baseball games played from 1997 to 2006 to see if there was a performance advantage for teams that were more in sync with the time zone in which the game was being played. They analyzed all 5,042 games in which at least one of the teams crossed a time zone, curious to see if the team crossing fewer or no time zones would have an edge. As expected, they found that teams with a one-hour advantage For instance, it would be like if the Colorado Rockies were playing at home versus the visiting Los Angeles Dodgers, had a winning percentage of 51.7%. A two-hour advantage meant a winning percentage of 51.8%. And a three-hour advantage equated to a winning percentage of 60.6%, which 
which is a pretty significant bump above and beyond home field advantage alone, which in this span of 10 years translated to a winning percentage of just 53.7%. It's often said that traveling east is harder than traveling west. I mean, it's certainly a lot less fun to force yourself to go to bed earlier and get up earlier, which would be like traveling east, than it is to stay up a little later and sleep in a bit, which is what would happen if you travel west. And that makes a lot of sense, because your body's internal clock actually seems to prefer a slightly longer day, something like 25 hours, instead of the 24-hour day that we live by. And studies have found that traveling east does indeed result in jet lag symptoms that are more severe and last longer than traveling west. One study, for instance, found that while westward travel, like Frankfurt to Atlanta, had a noticeable effect on athletes' performance for about three days, traveling east, in this case Munich to Osaka, led to more significant symptoms that lasted up to seven days. But wait, it's not as simple as saying that traveling east is worse for performance than traveling west all the time. The reality is actually a little more complicated and interesting, because it's also important to consider at what time of day you will be performing. How so? Well, some people are early birds, while others are night owls. And research suggests that our natural chronotype could have an effect on performance, and that there may be certain periods of time during the day when we are more likely to perform our best. For instance, even if in theory traveling west is easier, how would it feel if you had to fly from New York to LA for a big recital that starts at 8 p.m. Pacific time, which to your New York-timed body clock would feel like 11 p.m.? A 1997 study looked at 25 years' worth of Monday night football games from 1970 to 1994, all of which had start times of 9 p.m., which means that West Coast teams traveling east would be playing at what their body would perceive to be 6 p.m. their time and East Coast teams traveling west would be playing at essentially midnight their time. If you're thinking that this scheduling quirk would seem to favor the West Coast teams, you'd be totally right. Not only did West Coast teams have significantly more wins than the East Coast teams, they also won by more points. So it's as if West Coast teams got a boost to their home field advantage, while East Coast teams' home field advantage was essentially nullified. Another 1997 study found a similar effect in the NBA after looking at eight years' worth of games between 1987 and 1995. They found that the visiting team scored about four more points per game when they traveled east than when traveling west. Presumably, this was once again because the West Coast teams were playing at a time that felt earlier and more performance-optimal to their internal body clock. So this would suggest that if you're flying east, a later performance or audition time is probably to your advantage, while when traveling west, an earlier performance or audition time is probably best. But what if you don't have any control over what time you have to play? This is where phase shifting comes into play, where you can take steps to start adjusting your body clock to a new time zone even before you've left home. This involves shifting your bedtime by one hour per day strategically timing your exposure to light to make your body think you're in a different time zone, and perhaps supplementing with melatonin, which is a hormone that regulates wakefulness, and while available over-the-counter, should still be something you probably consult with your physician about before taking. 
So for instance, if you wanted to prepare your body for a trip west, you could initiate a one hour per day phase delay. This is where you'd go to bed and wake up one hour later each night, get more light in the early evening hours to make sure you don't get sleepy too soon, and avoid light in the morning to prevent your body from waking up too early. Preparing your body for a trip east, on the other hand, would involve a phase advance, where you'd go to sleep and wake up one hour earlier each night, avoid light in the evening hours before bedtime to help you feel sleepy earlier, and get lots of light when you wake up. But what if you do all this and still can't get to sleep when you arrive in your new time zone? Well, fortunately, there's always a power nap. One study, for instance, found that even after just four hours of sleep, a 30-minute power nap helped to improve not just alertness, but sprint times and certain measures of mental performance too. Which takes us to one last thing that can be a factor when traveling. Food. Because traveling tends to disrupt not just what we eat, but when we eat as well, both of which can have a meaningful effect on sleep. For instance, if you arrive at your hotel around 8 p.m. and are starving because the airplane Salisbury steak left quite a bit to be desired, it can be tempting to chow down on one of those overstuffed Chipotle burritos. However, that means that when you go to sleep a couple hours later, your body is still going to be devoting resources to doing its thing with that burrito, instead of resting and making the most of the precious time you have before the alarm goes off. So smaller meals before and after the flight are probably better than big meals at the wrong time. Your choice of food can also help or hurt your efforts to adjust to a new time zone. For instance, if you're starting to feel a little sleepy in the late afternoon, and you know a three-hour nap is totally going to destroy that night's sleep, it's probably best to avoid the high-carb, low-protein, anti annies pretzel that's screaming your name, and instead go for something like a high-protein, low-carb Greek yogurt. And maybe save burgers, pizzas, and all those other tempting treats for after the performance, as animal studies suggest that high-fat, high-calorie foods could make it harder for your body to adapt to a new time zone. So that's a lot of stuff. Is there a shorter, condensed version, perhaps? Well, the authors distilled what they found into nine recommendations, which I'll paraphrase here. Number one, start shifting your body clock before you leave by moving your bedtime and wake time by one hour per day. Number two, make it a point to get some light at strategic times during the day and ask your doctor about melatonin as well to help your body pre-adjust to the new time zone. Number three, Get natural daylight over artificial light when possible. Number four, time your social interactions so that they make sense in the context of your destination time. Number five, avoid caffeine, which I know is easier said than done, not just because it's a diuretic, but also because it can mess up all of your other efforts to phase shift. And while you're avoiding caffeine, you might as well avoid alcohol too, which is also a diuretic. Number six, take 20 to 30 minute naps. Number seven, drink lots of water while traveling to prevent dehydration. And maybe consider choosing an aisle seat to avoid annoying your fellow passengers. Number eight, eat smaller meals before and during your flight. And time your meals so that you're eating when you'd be eating at your destination. And number nine, if you're traveling to a different country, it might be good to rely on bottled water and avoid raw foods like salads just to make sure there aren't any gastrointestinal surprises.